Hello, I'm Anna Elliott and this is Blendle Handpicked. If you give me five minutes of your time, I'll give you three stories that stood out above all the rest this week. I'll have to start with a disclaimer here. All of my recommendations this week are at least slightly related to the coronavirus, but they were each so interesting I just couldn't leave any of them out. My first pick is an excellent story by Daniela Hernandez, Sarah Toy and Betsy McKay from the Wall Street Journal that brings together the best up-to-date information on how the coronavirus spreads and, perhaps more interestingly, how it doesn't. The pandemic has been around for six months now and scientists are reaching a growing consensus on that central question. How do people become infected? It's uncommon to contract COVID-19 from a contaminated surface, and walking past someone outdoors is also unlikely to spread the virus. But longer, close-up interactions pose a much larger risk, especially crowded events in poorly ventilated areas. This piece goes on to explain how respiratory droplet contact and aerosols are the main culprits, as well as how they work and how to avoid them. Part of the reason why these results are so vitally important is that they will help governments and companies devise reopening strategies, getting people back to work and starting up the economy again while protecting public health. Large studies have shown that global lockdowns have prevented infections and saved lives, but now we know more, we can reopen with a clearer idea of where our efforts should be focused. The importance of a good ventilation system is becoming clearer, since it can dilute the number of virus particles in the air, as is the need for physical distancing. If we can refrain from speaking loudly and singing near other people, we'll also reduce the droplets around us, as well as the force at which they're expelled, and therefore the distance they can travel. The implication of some of this research is that if we can implement innovative solutions that keep us out of the way of each other's breath, we can restart our lives in a smart way that doesn't necessitate countrywide lockdowns. It's the first step to getting back to normal. This eight-minute article featured in last Wednesday's Wall Street Journal, and the link is in the show notes. Next up today is a fascinating, unusual story by Sloane Crosley in Vanity Fair that made me think about the nature of celebrity and mortality in a whole new way. So the background to this story is that Crosley and an old friend have a long-running game that has lasted 12 years, where they text each other the name of a famous person who has just died as soon as they hear about it, with zero context. Crosley starts by explaining how the game came about in the first place, so you don't wind up thinking she's a sociopath. But it's not long before she starts injecting startling and arresting details. First, this isn't just a facet of the friendship between her and her text companion. It's the entire friendship. It's their only interaction. She explains, visualise, if you will, what this looks like. More than a decade's worth of two-word bubbles staggered vertically like a video game ladder. It's a strangely clinical method of taking inventory. Crosley emphasizes that they're not mourning the dead or fetishizing them, which is unusual in our modern mediascape where the death of a legend can spur countless outpourings of grief on social media. But details like that leave us with a sense of unease, one that Crosley doesn't hurry to dispel. In fact, that's part of what makes the writing here so gripping. She touches on whether they should feel guilty for not treating the celebrities like real humans and never quite answers the question. That unease lingers through the piece and intensifies when it first mentions the coronavirus. Since the beginning of the crisis, the rules of the game have changed. 
Now they text each other names of celebrities who have contracted COVID-19. But that doesn't make the game any less morbid. In fact, Crosley says, the sick are somehow worse than the dead because they are inseparable from our daily thoughts. She goes on to parse this weird new world in which we find ourselves, where celebrities are just as susceptible to the virus and the dread it can cause as the rest of us. Rather than landing on a neat conclusion, she exposes tangles and convolutions in the way we think about famous humans and leaves them there for us to unpick. It's magnificent, thoughtful, thought-provoking writing, and I'd highly recommend spending some time with it. It's six minutes in the most recent issue of Vanity Fair. Last up today, I've got an excellent analysis from The Economist on how Britain got its coronavirus response so wrong. This story forms an interesting parallel to the Wall Street Journal piece I spoke about earlier, because it's another example of how the kinds of reports we're seeing on the pandemic six months in can illuminate relationships between things we could only really guess at before. The subtitle of this piece says it all. The British state provides a case study in how not to respond to a pandemic. In fact, Britain has the worst death rate from the virus in the developed world. Many factors outside the government's control contribute to that sad statistic, but it's now possible to draw clear links between certain government policies and the spread of the disease. An early decision to leave care homes open much longer than other European countries led to a crisis within those facilities. And the advice not to cancel large events spread the disease faster. Even after the spread of the disease became clearer, Britain did not order its citizens to stay home until the 23rd of March. The virus had spread further than it had in Spain, Italy or France by the time they locked down. The piece goes on to explain precisely why Britain's testing capabilities lagged behind and how that compounded the already dire situation in care homes. And even now, masks aren't compulsory for people going out in public. There have been articles in the past few months criticising the actions of the British government, but this one benefits from the knowledge of more recent research. The full piece is eight minutes in Friday's Economist. Thanks for joining me for this week's top stories. Check out the show notes for the links to the articles. And if you want to read more, you can go to blendle.com and subscribe to the Daily Digest newsletter, which we send out at 8am Eastern. If you want to get in touch with your thoughts on the show, you can email me at editorial at blendle.com and you can follow us on Twitter at blendle. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week.